0: Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things.
1: Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Dave Isay, founder of StoryCorps. Support for our podcast and the following message comes from Morgan Stanley, a proud sponsor of StoryCorps. Morgan Stanley is committed to giving back and to fostering meaningful dialogue among people and communities. MorganStanley.com
2: We're all searching for acceptance and love, and we all need support. But not everyone gets that luxury.
0: One thing your grandmother had asked me to do when we separated was
1: please never tell the children. My older sister said I was going to hell. She just knew I was going to hell because the Bible said I was going to hell.
2: In this episode, we'll hear conversations from queer folks across generations and how two older gay men ultimately resisted the pressure to hide themselves. We usually lean on our elders for wisdom and support. But in this story, it's the other way around. It's the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. I'm Camila Kashani. Tony Perry grew up in Niagara Falls, New York in the 1950s, back when being gay was known about but not talked about. He was from a big Italian family, raised a devout Catholic, so he kept his sexuality to himself. In 2009, he shared his story with his grandson, Jeffrey.
0: I knew at a very young age, about six or seven years old, that I was different, didn't have a name for it. I remember when I was about 17, I went to confess and told a priest that I thought there was something a little different in me, that I was attracted to men, and the only advice he gave me was, be careful who you tell that to, son.
2: And Tony listened. He kept his secret all through high school. And then he joined the Navy, got married, and had three children. But one day, he decided to come clean to his wife.
0: I mentioned that I thought I might be gay. That was probably, you know, some of the problems in our marriage and that it wasn't fair to her. And I still have not had a gay sexual experience. I've been very faithful to my marriage. That's not patting me on the back. It's just the way it was. Then after that, we didn't talk about it for about another three years. And then finally she suggested I go to a psychiatrist and get some help. So I went to a psychiatrist, left his office, and went to a gay bar. had my first gay experience, and I was 35 years old at that time. The marriage lasted (laughs) another two years, unfortunately. After that, I could not in all good conscience stay in the marriage. It was a very difficult time, very difficult period, but we survived.
2: He stayed involved in the family and kept raising his kids. And over time, he slowly started coming out to his family, including his eight grandkids. In their StoryCorps conversation, Tony remembered when Jeffrey learned the truth.
0: You were nine years old, and Uncle John and I had just split up. And you came to visit me, and I was taking you to the Broadway show, Annie. You had asked me, where did Uncle John sleep? And uh, I didn't lie to you. I remember you asking me, does grandma Shirley know you're gay? And then you ask me, does my father know you're gay? Mm. Does my mother know you're gay? Most of the important people in my life knew. But I was just so proud just to be honest. And and that's what I've strived for all my life, mm-hmm. just to just to there live honestly. Go.
2: And Tony was there for Jeff when he had his own moment of self-acceptance.
3: I remember going in my mom's closet. And dressing up in her high heels. I used to do the same thing. I
0: used to play with paper dolls. I loved
3: paper dolls. Oh, Barbies. I loved Barbies. I remember going to Mom's closet, grabbing those shoes, dropping my little butt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're emerging uh, dragness. And realizing that I was different. We'll say the word different. You know, when I was 13 years old, I came out of the closet to everybody. But the first person to know wasn't you, Papa. I was a... Uh, think afraid of what you would think would you be afraid for me. I it's was very real, I had all those yeah, when so I, I I actually knew this lesbian couple when I was doing community theater. They really helped me out a lot and well, you know, tell tell your close friends first. Be careful who you tell. hmm Um just like that priest. Said just like that priest. It comes yeah. full circle with us, yeah. huh? Yeah. But having a gay grandfather Everyone was used to it in the family. So coming out was easy. You are my role model. Love it. I mean, who am I going to go to with sexual questions? Right. I mean, you've been around. Right. <laughs> yes. I'm so lucky to have you in my life. You have helped me. <laughs> I'm going to start
0: crying, don't Jeffrey. Cry, cry. Yes.
4: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you, I love Jeffrey. You. Love you, too.
2: Jeff and Tony came back to record a second time over a decade later in 2022. The country had changed, and so had they.
4: Lots has happened. Yeah. I've gotten older. <laughs> I can't believe I'm 82 years old. And I mean, in my life, I never thought I would see marriage equality no? come, but it did. And there's a real danger, I think, now that that may be taken away from us. And also, uh, your grandma passed away about a month ago, which was very hard. We were still very good friends. Yeah. When I think of the big family you've created
3: and nurtured, you've always held the family together in hard times. And I'm proud of you for that. What does being a gay man
4: mean to you? in this stage of your life? Just being as authentic as I can be. I have no fear in coming out to people now. But I'm fearful that I'm going to be alone. My long-term relationship ended about six months ago. It was a 22-year relationship, but I'm still grieving that. And I'm fearful that I'll never have the intimacy or the, the closeness with another person. But I'm very fortunate that I have a very supportive family because a lot of gay men, family men, uh, who come out lose right. that. And I never did. I'm very proud of my part in your growing up. I can sometimes say that that's probably why I was put on this earth. <laughs> Yeah, I know that. Not many grandsons and
3: grandfathers could say, you know, I mean, you literally paved the way for me. You'll be my (laughs) guiding light in a lot of my life's choices because you've always been.
2: That was Tony Perry and his grandson, Jeff Perry. After the break.
5: How would you identify yourself?
2: Gay black male.
1: I still don't like the term gay. I prefer same gender loving, but I can openly say it now when there was a time I couldn't. Stay with us. Support for our podcast and the following message comes from Morgan Stanley, a proud sponsor of StoryCorps. Morgan Stanley is committed to giving back and to fostering meaningful dialogue among people and communities. See how Morgan Stanley, through demonstrating their core values, is giving back to the communities where they live and work at morganstanley.com.
2: Having someone you can confide in is really important, especially when that person is someone you genuinely trust and someone who can relate to what you're going through. Claude Bowen grew up and lived most of his life in Los Angeles. And when he was 58, he went through a breakup and moved to Atlanta, Georgia, to be closer to his grandchildren. There, he met Richard Hutchinson in a support group for gay Black men who were HIV positive. They came to StoryCorps in 2016 to talk about their experiences coming out and how it shaped them. We'll start with Claude.
1: You know, I used to be teased by the kids, so I sit around on the porches with the women in the neighborhood. And I picked up their mannerisms, their gossip, and my flair for clothes came from women. I thought they were fascinating. And when they would talk about the girl down the street and the woman down the street that was a loose woman, and some of them, their husbands, were messing around with me, so... I was the woman that they were talking about. One chased me with a razor. And I never told my mother why that woman was chasing me. And that was really, really scary because I believe if she'd have caught me, she'd have cut me.
5: And the thing about it is I don't think she did anything to him. It was my fault. Yeah. And I think that we mess with these guys who out in public don't want to even acknowledge our presence, mm-hmm. but yet behind closed doors, they want the benefits of our bodies, right? Right. And it's really, really a horrible feeling
1: to be with somebody. You see them out, and they won't even acknowledge you, not even say hello. You don't have to acknowledge that we've been together, but you, I've been through that, and I know what that feels like. That's a lonely feeling.
2: Despite the culture of the 1950s, Claude didn't repress himself and he didn't care about what the consequences might be.
1: My style of clothing has always had a feminine Mm flair. And that made my mother uncomfortable. She didn't want me going family functions. I could see when I walked in the house that she was just terrified of what I might have on or what I might say. That really, really drains you trying to fit in. My sister was going to send me to a therapist. Well, I said, I'm not sick. Mm -hmm. She had lots of gay friends. She just could not handle the fact that I was gay. And my parents felt that they had done something wrong. They didn't understand that I am who I am. That's not a birth defect. Mm -hmm. But when you hear it, enough. Wow. Did any of those messages ever fall on
5: you and impact how you see yourself. Yeah. It was so hard, like, growing up. For me, there were times where I just wanted to be around the girls, you know, yeah. running around the street, playing double-dudge, jumping hopscotch. My mom would notice things like that. And I remember times where she would literally, like, take me by the collar of my neck and throw me up against the, the refrigerator and, like, you're not going to be gay, as if to beat it out of me or push it out of me. And I know now we have more freedoms than your generation, but I think that being... A black man, first of all, it comes with things that we have to deal with every day and then trying to identify as a gay man. And, you know, being a black gay man goes against black masculinity, right? Right. And I'm just trying to be a a young, educated, wholesome black boy. And it was so hard. And, you know, my parents felt like they did something wrong. Like, they didn't raise me the right way because my father must have, like, allowed me to become a gay man. And it was just like, no. Like, my father has been the greatest example of a black male I've ever had. And something that I often don't talk about is that I have a seven-year-old son. And in the eyes of my son, there's no judgment. right? There's no hatred. There's no gay this less than a man that there's just this is my father period period and i think he's more accepting of me than i am of myself but now i'm able to sit down with my father who is a black male and identify wholeheartedly who i am as a person and him not see me less than a man i had never faced my father we never had that conversation
2: As if Claude wasn't dealing with enough already, the AIDS epidemic started when he was in his 30s. Suddenly, gay men were dealing with the added stigma of HIV and AIDS. It was initially referred to as the gay cancer. And Claude remembers this time with a lot of heartbreak. And just a note, part of this story mentions suicide.
1: When HIV first hit, we said it was a white boy's disease until our friends started dying. And the way that the hospital staff treated people in those days, the doctors and nurses came in with surgical masks and gloves, and many brothers that were HIV positive just withdrew, and they did not want to go into treatment because of the way the medical profession treated them. Mm. You know, I had buried a lot of folk that were so beaten one of my younger brothers found out he was HIV positive and he sat on his patio and uh, blew his brains out. Mm. And he was about your age. The stigma's so great.
2: Claude tested positive for HIV in the late 80s and has worked in the community to prevent HIV infection since his diagnosis. So when he met Richard, who had just been diagnosed, he found someone he could mentor.
5: How do you think HIV impacts the attitudes of the Black gay community? I think there's a lot of nobody wants me
1: because I'm damaged good. And that other message, you deserve that. That's
5: your punishment. God is punishing you. We internalize all of that. Man, you know, I'm openly HIV positive young gay Black man. And if I can openly talk about being positive, it opens doors for so many more conversations. But there was this very fine man that I was trying to talk to. And he was like, you shouldn't tell people your business like that. And I was just like, I love your concern. I get it. But you have to understand that I'm not doing this just for me. I'm doing this for our community. And he couldn't wrap his mind around why I wanted to disclose that type of information. You know, I applaud you for being
1: that open. But it also saddens me that at 26 that you're infected. Mm -hmm. That means that we didn't do as good a jobs as we thought we did, because you shouldn't be,
5: you know? Yeah. But for me, just having an older Black gay man in my life is not only empowering, like, I can look forward to being a 68-year-old Black gay man who's living with HIV, right? I appreciate being able to have that role model that you weren't able to have. I can see the future in you. So this brotherhood is something that pushes me every single day to have someone like you in my life. And I'm glad that we're in each other's lives.
2: That was Claude Bowen and his friend Richard Hutchinson at StoryCorps in 2016. They're both leaders and organizations helping to prevent the spread of HIV. And they're still friends. That's all for this episode of the StoryCorps podcast. It was produced by Jay Bourne and edited by Jared Sport, who's our senior producer. Eleanor Vasily is our lead producer. Our technical director is Jared Floyd, who also composed our theme song. Max Young-Rice is our associate producer. Erica Anderson is our fact-checker. Our story consultant is Jasmine Morris. Special thanks to Jeremy Helton, Joe Corona, and Brittany Bromfield. To see what music we use in the episode, go to storycore.org, where you can also check out original artwork by Lynn Lucia. For the Storycore podcast, I'm Camille Kashani. Catch you next week.
1: Support for this podcast comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. On NPR's Throughline, We cannot function for 24 hours without Cobalt because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe.
3: Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Humans are kind of overrated. Over on Shortwave, a science podcast, we're only kind of kidding. We're bringing you the wondrous world of animal science to your daily life. From queer animal love stories to songbird memories, we're showing you how critter knowledge informs human science. Listen now to Shortwave, a podcast from NPR.
5: On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR.